0: Today is Friday, March 9th, 2018.
1: This week we are joined by Eddie Koffeltz, Director of Church Mobilization at International Justice Mission and the host of the New Activist Podcast.
0: This week's episode is sponsored by Visual Media Church. Visual Media Church is one of the fastest-growing church media companies creating worship backgrounds, social media posts, stock video, stock photography, and templates for all your media needs. Go to visualmediachurch.com to sign up today, and when you do, use promo code Church to get 20% off all their memberships. That's CRTV Church for 20% off. Go and sign up today. You're listening to the Creative Church Podcast, where each week we talk about the latest in Christian creative culture and explore the lives of prominent creatives. My name is Nick Goodner, and joining me today is the one, the only, Emily Cummins.
2: Hey guys, it's my third time with you, and it literally is so much fun every single time. I'm pumped to be here.
0: To her digital right, my left, is Ross Montgomery.
1: Well... It feels like a, it's been a lifetime, Emily.
2: <laughs> I'm not sure if you meant that as a good thing or not a good thing right now. So. Yeah,
0: <laughs> It was definitely a good thing. Okay. I, I <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> All good things.
0: Guys, I, I'm so happy to have you both here today. Um, now, last week, we got into kind of a discussion about our guilty pleasures. A and heated we learned fellowship, that... if you will. <laughs> <laughs> a heated fellowship about our guilty pleasures. And uh, Emily's guilty pleasure is Oreos. Uh, with no milk um, That's right. and as wrong as that sounds we're, we're still kind of happy to have her on the podcast that being said emily you you sent us an, a picture this week you were eating peep oreos uh, yep. i assume you were just getting ready to just throw those in the trash but uh um i, I, I did, did did you eat any of them Let me okay ask that.
2: this question did i eat any of them i ate, <laughs> I ate it's the like ron entire... swanson
1: with bacon and eggs
2: I ate the entire package oh. of Oreos oh, there Guys. Is.
0: with the peep yeah. cream filling.
2: I may have shared one with my mom, but like literally I ate the rest.
0: Mm. Wow. Yeah. So but you missed
2: were... the note, like the peep colored like filling was purple. That was the only reason I bought the Oreos <laughs>
1: because
0: they
2: were purple and they're actually really good.
1: Is there a filling that would be crossing the line for you?
2: That's a really hard question maybe if there was like i don't ketchup wouldn't be good at all i don't know like ketchup flavored not about that so that's where
0: you're drawing the line is the ketchup flavor (laughs) (laughs)
2: like the last
0: (laughs) one that oreo could ever think about making was the ketchup flavor and it's like that's That's where i'm gonna draw the line
2: i'm sorry that's the first thing that came into my mind so
0: i i wanted to snag your opinion though on the peep oreos and kind of get your professional critiques uh for this this or I, i i first off be honest i'm not a big peep fan i like you know i eat them occasionally um i do like oreos uh but the thought of them being together i don't know that just that just weirds me out um but w- your thoughts give okay. us your thoughts what was the you know texture the essence you know what was your thought eating these i mean entire package of peep oreos
2: well, if these Oreos were in an Olympic competition, they're definitely going home with the gold.
1: Ooh.
2: <laughs> exactly. Because – so at first, I didn't think I was going to like them. I'm not a peep fan myself. Um, but because they were purple, I could not pass them up. And when I tried them, like, I'm not kidding. The cream on the inside is almost softer and sweeter than normal Oreos. They mm. were incredible. Like, you need to try them. They were so good. I can't even describe them accurately, but <laughs> they were great.
0: Okay, so compared to, like, the original Oreo, uh, it's not the pumpkin spice Oreo like we learned last <laughs> week. It is the original <laughs> one with the original cream in it. Um, compared to that, how does this rank?
2: Oh, better like, off the charts better.
0: Off the charts mm, better, wow. Yes.
2: It's just so, creamier and softer and sweeter. I don't know. It It wins for sure.
0: Awesome. Well, for listeners that don't know, Oreo makes thousands of different flavors. I mean, there's um,
1: banana split
0: yeah. Oreos.
1: I saw there birthday was like a- Birthday cake Oreos.
0: Now, the birthday cake ones are delicious.
1: Candy corn.
2: Mmm. Mmm. Oh, so, all Emily... need to <laughs> <eat> Oreos. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, Emily, I wanted to ask you- what are your top three Oreo flavors? We didn't really get to discuss this last Ooh. week. i want to ask you what's your top three Oreo flavors.
2: Okay. Well, now number one are the Purple Peep Oreos. Okay. Number two, Double Stuff. And number three would be the Pumpkin Spice.
0: I have no reference for the Pumpkin Spice, <laughs> so I, I don't know what to say about that. But that is that is an interesting blend. Okay, so what are y'all's stuff. top
2: three?
1: Double stuff, double stuff, and double stuff
2: <laughs> with milk on the. Side well, you put it on you. a fork
1: into the milk <laughs> because you get full milk coverage over the entire Oreo.
2: Okay, but when you put a fork into an Oreo, doesn't that just crush it up? I don't understand how Do that you, works.
1: No, you, you stick put it, it into the, in the side, middle. into the oh, cream, into the cream, and then okay. you dip. And it all stays together, and then you dip it down for probably like eight seconds, not okay. ten. Okay, it's too long, it'll start breaking apart. Yeah, and you bring it out, and it's just soft and real nice
2: man this is a science
1: it is
0: it is a literal science uh for <laughs> me i think my uh my top three would have to be the birthday cake as number one i love the birthday cake oreos um the second are the peanut butter oreos mm-hmm. um and then the third is just traditional i don't like the double stuff it's too much cream i just want the traditional oreo so those are, those are my top three um but yeah so those are i mean that's all of our oreo talk today I didn't Hmm. realize we'd get that far into this. That's been
1: your segment of Oreo talk.
0: (laughs) Come back next week when we talk more about Oreos. We should
1: should get like every flavor possible. Um, And and do a video of Emily Taste. taste (laughs) taste. (laughs) And
0: put it up on the website. I volunteer as tribute. (laughs) Let's do it. (laughs) And then she has to rank each and every single one of those Oreos. Perfect. Uh, But anyway, quick, quick housekeeping note before we continue on today's show. Um, You might have noticed this already, but we say uh, go to the Creative Church Podcast episode page a lot uh, for this and that. And uh, this week, several people brought it to my attention that the podcast hasn't been being pushed out to the website in some time. Um, So I, I just want to apologize for that. Sorry, listeners. Uh, that was my bad. Uh, however, over the weekend, I, I fixed it. So all the previous shows and all the previous show notes and the current shows, they're up and uh, so now whenever we say that we we actually mean no. that <laughs> um so yeah we we're, we're not lying uh that being said we have a great show planned for everyone today coming up later we're joined by eddie Coffolds. you might have heard his voice on the relevant podcast also on the show the new activist podcast uh but he works for ijm and uh he's here to talk about activism and the church and all that good stuff um but up next is trending <laughs> Welcome to Trending. Each week we gather one article from last week's headlines that's important to us and that we feel is impacting culture, church, or creators, and we discuss it. Ross, I'm going to let you go up first this week. Um, what do you got for us?
1: So have either of you had to work with a boss who like completely over-communicates everything, and how did that make you feel?
2: I actually haven't um, at all. I've I've experienced more of the opposite.
0: Where they haven't communicated enough?
2: Right. But okay. I'm also type A oreo no milk loving kind of weird individual <laughs> yeah. so i get that might be uh, do you think your bosses just, just don't more.
0: want to talk to you is <laughs> that what it is
2: <laughs> we're learning so many things about me on this podcast we're, i think i'm gonna go to therapy now it's good
0: <laughs> you, don't, you don't need it we we're here for you we're, oh, we're, thanks, we're like guys. unofficial therapists of we can work, out all, your work out all the problems
2: oh thank you
0: i'll be honest i haven't had a job where um you know i've oh man it's been like six years since I had a boss, <laughs> um, so no, I don't. I don't think so. I I, uh, I, I, I can't think of one. No, not off the top of my head.
1: Okay, well, maybe maybe someone that's listening does work for or has worked for or might work for a boss who overcommunicates everything. Um, and I found an article on Fast Company talking about kind of how to handle that type of boss because um, it can come in a lot of different forms. And uh, they kind of talk about if your boss is naturally chatty, you know, a great way to kind of handle that is to um, schedule more kind of micro check-ins. So the visits um, don't seem to last forever. They just go on all these tangents. You can kind of keep it in these little bite-sized things. Um, your boss might be a new manager, you know, new to leadership and that kind of thing, and feel lonely and try to build a rapport with their employees. Um, So like offering to grab a coffee together, you know, outside of like a project deadline. Um, Or there's the uh, micromanager, Uh, you know, it feels like your boss is just hovering over you and has control issues. Um, You can offer unprompted updates on projects you're working on to kind of let them know you're ahead of the curve, where you're at exactly, let them know you're taking the initiative to make that contact. So it kind of eases their Anxiety. There might come a time where you just have to address the problem straight on in a polite way, um, and just talk about the overcommunication. And the article has some really great practical ways to approach each of those options. But yeah, I've 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 worked for where it felt like I had, um, you know, kind of the micromanager over your shoulder kind before. So. Uh, it's interesting to kind of see how to handle some of those different situ- situations you might find yourself in.
0: So, I mean, I, I think I've had, I, I'm pretty sure, I'm, co- I'm confident to say I've had a boss that kind of micromanages. Um, I, I kind of interested to know your thoughts on why do you think people go in and micromanage? What do you think is one of the key reasons for micromanagement?
2: I think a lot of it is just different personality types. Um, And so, you know, some personalities like mine, for instance, very type A, detail oriented. Um, I like knowing that uh, everything's being handled. And so if I don't feel like someone that I'm leading is communicating well to me, I might appear um, like I'm over communicating or I'm, you know, but I don't feel that they are owning the project. Um, whereas in their their personality might not be as you know type A as me or they might be a different Enneagram number or whatever the case is. And they've totally have ownership of the project, but their communication style is different. So I think a lot of it is the root of getting to know each other and how you communicate and then catering to each other's styles.
1: Yeah,
0: I, I, I can see that definitely because I mean, I, I'm kind of the same way where i'm a, I'm a type A person where I, I want things done. Uh, most of the time I want things done, you know, kind of my way. Um, and I, that can come off as definitely over communicating to people, but I found that that can kind of make people feel insecure. Have mm-hmm. you guys ever, Oh, you know, yeah. That, does that, I mean, you, you, Ross, you said you had a boss that micromanages Mac or kind of was a micromanager. Yeah, I mean, well, I, you and you know, insecure? they could very
1: well be coming from a place of like, they just want to make sure it gets done well and that the quality is right. there, which is totally legit. Um, you know or they might have control issues or they just you know hopefully it doesn't come down to they just don't think you can do the job uh right. otherwise they wouldn't have hired you but um yeah being in that position yeah you definitely feel like you're being second guessed all the way up you know you're like uh am i valuable here do they value like do they not trust me that I can make the right decisions to do the things, you know? So, um, yeah, kind of coming from a receiving that kind of overcommunication or having that type of boss uh, can definitely uh, inhibit those feelings. I
2: feel like nine times out of ten, the boss might not even realize that they're coming across that way. Totally. And, you know, so what you just unpacked, Ross, is huge for all of us that when we are honest with our bosses and, like, share that, it could either help them see something from a different vantage point and learn something more about themselves and their leadership style and hopefully make it better so they're not over communicating um, in a negative way.
1: Yeah, and to totally approach that situation like with grace and really truly seeing the best in that boss, not not thinking that they're coming from a a perspective of truly not trusting you. So a little bit of group
0: therapy real quick. I think each of us (laughs) – (laughs) <laughs> are kind of in leadership roles. I know I said it. Emily said it. We kind of over over communicate a little bit, um, or we can come off that way because we might come off a little micromanaging. Um What would what would you guys' thoughts be on um, uh, keeping that in check for us as you know kind of leaders as a uh, from a leadership perspective? What are th- some things that we can do to keep our over communication, our quote unquote micromanaging in check? I mean,
1: some of the things I do with the team I'm over is I kind of put all the expectations up front. Um, and try to be fairly clear and succinct with them. Uh, so they kind of know, hey, this is what we expect. If you have any questions, please let me know. I'm, I'm open to questions and feedback. Um, you know, and then I have a little bit of grace that if something does kind of fall off the plate or, you know, there's a mistake. And, and again, you know, if it happens the first time, it's like, oh, that was an anomaly. And then just kind of approach that. Um, but if, it, if it's a mistake that continues happening, just kind of say, um, you know, kind of approach it with the way of like, oh, we just need to make sure that we're, you know, I, I kind of let it happen. I guess um, I let the mistake happen, and if it happens, I address it um, after I make my intentions clear.
2: I'm with you. I set out the expectations very clearly on the upfront, um, and then this year I've stepped into a new role on my team where I'm really leading our entire staff, and I've really delved into the Enneagram. So everybody on my team took the Enneagram (laughs) test. Yay, personality tests. Um, But that helped me um, in terms of seeing how they communicate um, when they're tracking towards health, unhealth, et cetera. And then I equipped our team with knowing everyone's Enneagram numbers. Everybody um, is aware of personality types on the team. Um, Then from there, just knowing how they're wired um, I also, at the end of every week, my team members just send me a little report on how their week went, what they accomplished, things like that. So I'm able to just review it. Um, it's really simple in an email. Um, so it's nothing fancy. But then if I have follow-up questions, I can reach back out. Um, but for the most part, I see, like, man, this person's rocking exactly what I told them and asked them to do. Like, great. Um, and they're leading, communicating that to me, which is helpful.
0: Well, that's, those are some incredible answers. That was an incredible article. Great conversation, um, Emily. What do you got for us today?
2: Yeah. So, have either of you ever felt like you were about to burn out in ministry, or have you experienced a burnout?
0: I wouldn't say I've experienced a complete burnout. Yeah. Um. I think that every three days, though, I feel burnout. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs>
1: I've, I've definitely, I've definitely been uh, looking over the cliff a time or two. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah definitely.
2: For sure, I've been you know with you guys there, and I think one of the most important truths that my mentor, Jenny Catron, taught me is that I have to first lead myself well to lead others better. Mm -hmm. And uh, so one of our mutual friends, Stephen Brewster, actually unpacked this on his blog um, with an article that basically identifies burnout, sharing nine signs that you're about to crash. Um, So I thought that these nine signs were pretty significant indicators to see where you're at. Um, whether you're tracking towards health or unhealth, um, Mm -hmm. and then identifying them in your own journey could save you from experiencing that head-on collision. So I'm not going to unpack all nine. You can read it. Um, The article will be in our notes. But there were two that really stood out to me. Um, So one of them was you realize you have not paused, prayed, meditated, or spent any time developing yourself spiritually. And that's – Big. I mean, when we are working in ministry, it's really easy to get caught up in just doing the work mm-hmm. of ministry. Um, and so I even as a communicator, I'm always making sure I'm not just spending time in the Bible because I'm preparing a talk or because I'm writing a blog post or whatever the case may be. Like, I need to make sure I have time with Jesus for Emily, not just for what I'm going to go help someone else with. Um So I thought that was a really, really big indicator. And then the second, you find yourself reacting and not responding. That's a tough one. And it's a good daily check. I think this point even ties back into Ross's article as well. Um, because whenever I over communicate with my team, I'm usually leaning towards reacting and not responding and trying to control something. And that's not a healthy position, um, as a leader. And so I, that was just a really good check, um, for burnout for me. So I found this helpful in leading myself well on this becoming journey. And you can check out all nine of the signs via the link in our notes. It'll actually be there this
0: week. Yeah, it'll actually be there. Um, realizing you have not paused, prayed, meditate, or spent any time developing yourself spiritually, that is so important. I know this is something that I, I think every, every week I'm finding myself looking back and reflecting and thinking, oh my gosh, I have not spent any time spiritually or, uh, any time meditating or praying or just listening to, uh, worship music, uh, because I'm a person who puts on noise canceling headphones, uh, and don't, I don't play anything through them. I, I want no noise when I'm working. So I don't really, you know, my my wife is different. She listens to worship music like constantly, um, but I don't. Um, so I, I found that this just over the past few weeks, that's one of the things I've been setting aside more to do, and uh, getting those moments where I can just turn on my headphones, listen to listen to some worship music, and just meditate and pray, and reflect on what God is doing and what uh, what He's calling us to do, and uh, really really spend that time with God and really develop myself. Spiritually, um, what about you guys? What what, I mean, did anyone else read the article like all the way through, like all the nine points?
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I could have easily wanted to talk about all of them, (laughs) (laughs) um, because I and I really thought that each of the nine checkpoints were a solid analysis, um, to tell you if you were about to experience burnout. Because, like, I think Ross had said it earlier, um, you know, getting close to that cliff's edge, um, and. That's not a fun place to be. And so these nine questions or categories, identifiers um, are really those like glaring roadblocks on the way to that cliff's edge. And if you are saying like yes to all nine, like you really need to pause and check in, even like to two or three, I think a healthy check in is necessary.
1: That's one thing I've really enjoyed about the leadership at the church I work at is, um, you know, they take that seriously, you know. Family obviously is a big priority. So when things happen um, recently, our pastor's son had a brain infection that literally shut down half his body and his speech and everything. And, you know, we're all supporting him and letting him have the time he needs to do that. You know, he he's not feeling the pressure or any pressure from us to, you have to get back and back into preaching, you know, that kind of thing. And, um, you know, so it's really cool to see that practiced out uh, instead of just saying it as a mantra um, that we don't want people to get burnt out, but to actually see it be something that uh, is practiced is is very different and very encouraging.
0: Um, my article this week is, is a little bit different, as always. Um, did, <laughs> now, we've kind of already talked about this, but did either of you watch the Oscars last night?
1: no No, not really you can own it emily just say no
0: no no nick no no one okay i was the only one i was very excited about the oscars last night uh as i always am um for those of you that don't know uh, last night uh we're recording this on monday so it was last night um the 90th oscars were hosted on abc and they were uh, actually a really kind of inspiring event a lot of people shared their thoughts and supports for the me too movement the time's up and uh really respecting women especially in hollywood and uh, while those moments were very moving they did not come without criticism Um, a lot of people on twitter and facebook last night shared their uh, opinions uh, reprimanding the oscar presenters and winners um, for using their spotlight to kind of push their agenda um uh, which I, i i did have some thoughts though about the reprimand or or about people reprimanding them for using their platform to push an agenda though. Um, But before I I shared mine, I did want to ask, do you think that it's okay for Oscar presenters and award winners to kind of make a point during those moments in the spotlight?
2: I think my take on it would be um, there are venues to share things and then there are venues where it's not appropriate to share things. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I always, as just a communicator, look at where am I speaking? Who's the audience? What's the point of this event? Um, what's a win for the event? It's not about me. It's about who I'm there partnering with. And so for any you know anyone who's a presenter or a winner, I would always just ask and keep at the forefront of my mind, what's the point of this evening? Um, what is it all about? What's the theme? Like, what are we talking about? Um, what do we want to communicate as a whole? And then I would stick with that. Then, I mean, if, if there are points or other things I'd want to point to, um, I would just use... The platform that i already have whether that be on social media or in other ways um but I, I just would keep it about the big picture
0: kind of keep keep a respectful yeah um you know dialogue during the event i like that and, and i think i think a lot of people don't really understand that the oscars are, are allowing people to have a voice in this yeah. moment um and i think that's why people a lot of people get upset and get offended uh, especially on twitter i saw things like they should not be pushing their agenda you know this is the oscars just present the awards and it's like actually no this is they've they've all decided that this is okay for them to do um so what, what, what's the problem
1: no i i think that um you know it, it's always interesting to me how people react because agree or disagree i think people that have a spotlight whether they're celebrities or athletes or whatever uh, can use that um you know hopefully it's for the good of humanity, that's generally what we want to see, I believe, and um, you know, we, we would kind of maybe come against anything that seemed very selfish and and entitled. But um, you know, for the most part, as as far as it goes for like speaking up for others and um, you know trying to support um, different uh, groups of people that are you know facing different things. Again, not to get into specifics, but. You know, to me, and, and I go back to this a lot when I talk about this. I, I, there's a little bit of a cognitive dissonance that I see, um, especially in a faith oriented realm, because you'll have Tim Tebow speak about his faith in interviews and stuff. And, and you have that even now with coaches and other players, uh, Kirk Cousins and, um, Nick Foles and, um, bunch of different ones that, you know, especially in this, you're seeing these different athletes being baptized um, in videos on the hotels as they're on the road, which is wonderful. It's great. Um, And people of faith celebrate that, but then it seems like when you don't agree with something, you tend to want them to be quiet. So so I would love for there to be room for all of it, to be honest, because even if I don't agree with someone, it's gonna let me see the humanity in them because it shows me they're much more rounded than just their name on a billboard for a movie or their name on the back of a jersey.
0: I agree with that because um, you know, we, we do live in a free society. Um, um personally I think that as an artist of faith and and the belief, we should really be leveraging those moments in the spotlight to make respectful stands, um, for what's right and what we believe in. Uh, because honestly, sometimes those, those opportunities can be few and far between, but I am concerned though, if, if you don't use your platform to speak for your passions or you don't use the platform, uh, to, you know, stand up for what's right, then are you abusing that platform? That's Hmm, kind of my question that I ask. Um, because you know, the Bible says in Proverbs, and this is funny because the verse of the day for me was speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves ensure justice for those being crushed yes speak up for the poor and helpless and see that they get justice and in that mm-hmm. moment you're the one with a spotlight on the stage you're the one that can speak up for people and shouldn't you take that moment to speak up for folks that's my that's my main point so i want everyone to have an open dialogue and we can st- continue standing up for what is right and continue condemning what is wrong up next is our interview with eddie coffolds This week's featured interview is with Eddie Coffolds. Eddie is the producer and the host of the new activist podcast dedicated to hearing from activists and world changers who are tackling some of the world's biggest problems. In addition, he is staffed with International Justice Mission, an NGO dedicated to ending slavery around the globe. Eddie regularly speaks about justice issues, writes topics on faith and counseling, and is on the relevant podcast. He lives in Orlando, Florida, my hometown, with Brianne, his wife, and his daughters, Eve and Lucy. Here's part of our conversation with Eddie Coffolds.
1: director of church mobilization for IJM um, what what are kind of your feelings on the you know if you if you're a thermometer of the current state of the church as it, as it relates to social justice um, how would you be viewing that right now what a
3: great opener that is a very good opening question i i um well first of all thanks for allowing me to be on your show i love your show and i love your whole audience so well, thank you. um but to to your question you know, I would say, as a whole, it is a really inspiring viewpoint that I, I get to hold seeing so many churches around the country, because um, it really does feel like there is a yet another awakening happening within the church, where very rarely do I speak with a, a pastor or you know a ministry leader or somebody in a congregation where they just had no idea in the world that the church was about caring for the poor or caring for the orphans and the widows in the world. Like generally the church understands like, Hey, this is our job. Part of what it means to be a part of this congregation is to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. And that takes on a lot of different forms within different churches, depending on the the resources that are in that church. But I mean, generally it's a really hopeful, um, it's a really hopeful thing because the church, especially the church in the West and in America is saying, um, as a whole, of course, there's, you know, there's always, like, ends to the to the bell curve. Some are just not at all doing this. But generally, in the good 90% middle, churches are going, you know, we are more than just being here on Sunday morning and taking communion and walking out and heading down to Panera for lunch. Like, we are about, like, if, if we're not going outside of these walls, then we have lost our, kind of lost our center. And that's been really hopeful and fun and really it's been cool to see that.
1: You're seeing kind of less of the social club aspect and, and people may be saying, oh, you know, go out and serve the homeless at a soup kitchen or something, but actually internalizing that within um, the resources of, let's say, a local church right. and, and getting some programs like that.
3: Right. I, I would say, if anything, the frustration is, you know, we've all read, uh, you know, people especially that like are really immersed in this, like you are, like we've read the books and we know we feel more sophisticated about how to help well <laughs> right we're like oh don't go helping and...
1: without hurting yeah that's
3: right so if anything the only frustration that i i've used sometimes is i'm like oh you're not you're just not doing it the right way but then you step <laughs> back and you go okay that's me being snobby because what they are doing is something and no i i, I just don't see a lot of churches that are purely sunday morning social club anymore and they never were meant to be that was never the design of church and it's it's been beautiful especially and again i want to be careful in generalities because there's always a there, there's a pretty strong way to disprove what i'm saying but especially churches that skew younger it is just really clear that uh you know gen x millennial and what's what's next and after that do not see i don't even know that they have the ability to see church as a social club it is just not a part it would seem of the dna of these younger churches they are primarily about caring for their community caring for the world and then really secondarily then we get together on sunday and we pray celebrate confess you know walk through the liturgy in order that we can go back out into the world and continue to serve well so it's it's a it's a cool shift to watch
1: I know our church partners with a, a nonprofit called One Child Matters. I'm not mm. sure if you're familiar with them, but um, they help a church take on and help sponsor specific locations across the world um, to help either build child development centers or help fund the things going on at, at, at them uh, to, so that the people in the country can mm. teach and can preach and just have these kids... Uh, have a safe space to, to learn and to have the resources to um, to kind of go above and beyond what they'd normally get.
3: I, I love that. And I love too about your church that they're open enough to accept that. Because there is part of it, sometimes I think there's sometimes a church pride that says, well, we want to, we need to do this. and And it kind of, you know, it needs to be in our branding, it needs to be in our voice, it needs to be you know, an expression, a clear, just direct expression of our people. And it, it takes a lot of courage for a church to step out and sort of release part of their justice ministry to someone else and say like, please lead us. uh, Yeah. It takes humility to be led. And the fact that your church is doing that is, it speaks volume about the church and, and the the people that are leading it.
1: Uh, How do you, how do you see the, the balance between being wise about how they approach needs and being open-handed? Like, is there sometimes a little resistance of like, you know, it's just unattainable to like help everybody all the time. Yeah. But, um, how do you kind of see that balance work out in what you do? Yeah.
3: Well, in what, in what I do, especially, you know, as it pertains to IJM, it's actually really easy to strike that balance because, because IJM is just, um, we're the only organization in the world that is doing this and we're the really in the way that we are doing this, the way we are ending slavery in this way. We are the largest organization doing this and it is extremely proven. So there isn't a lot of ambiguity of like uh, I think it's sometimes a harder question of you know, the homeless person that walks into our church office on a Monday afternoon and asks for a bus token, a bus token, you know, are we are we enabling that person by just giving them? Should we put them through a questionnaire? Should we, you know, that that to me is a lot harder. You know, how do we as a church respond to the need in a way that is both open-handed? I mean, I, I'm restating the question you asked. How do we, so the that that to me, a lot of the local smaller church, not smaller church, but like more day-to-day questions are harder and nuanced. And when I was a pastor, I really struggled with them because sometimes I was like, it's not our job to, it's it's not our job to like make a full judgment assessment of every person. If someone is walking in and they're starving, and they ask for ten bucks, well, let's give them twenty, and let's not try to worry that they're going to go and possibly not buy food with that. Let's just love them that way, and then you know you go the other way, and you're like, well, that's not actually loving them; that's enabling. But with IJM, it's a lot easier because it really is. You know, generally I go up and we start the conversation at a church by preaching a sermon. So whether it be like, and it doesn't have to be that way, but generally they will bring us as a speaker and say, hey, can you just do a half hour on God's heart for justice and slavery in the world? And
1: And you're like, easy. Yeah, you're like, I (laughs) I actually can
3: do that and I would be honored. And really, you, you really, when you get up there and say... There are over 40 million slaves in the world today, more than at any other time in human history. Here's, you know, here's the story of Cassie. Cassie was, and you tell Cassie's story, and she has this horrific story of she, you know, was promised a job in a better city that she thought this job would pay for her parent, like for her whole family to have a better life. It turns out she was sold inadvertently and accidentally into a sex trafficking ring and then you know i tell the horrific details of her life and then i tell about her rescue and i tell about how we're able to rescue more slaves and it's really there's nobody when they hear that that goes hmm i wonder if that's accurate or if we should be a part of that that really because it's just a basic human truth we cannot have people in slavery. That is, that is not okay. A person cannot own another person. That kind of injustice and imbalance of power is unacceptable. And so my job, I get to not really w- wade through the sticky situations of, is this, you know, is this something we should be engaged in? But then I get to basically just say, and here's what you can do to walk with JM. And, and it's a really simple couple of things that are really hard to do. Primarily, I am asking people to pray. And that's the part that really freaks them out. Because I think they expect like a hard push for giving millions, and if they want to give a lot of money, like we we need it. It's really helpful. But generally, <laughs> yeah, it is an awareness campaign and a prayer campaign. And when you tell that to people, it's there's just not a lot of there's not a lot of gray area, and there's uh you know it, and it's a pretty um, well to be honest, it's a pretty rewarding experience to see people
1: awaken to that. Um. Do you find that as churches are kind of entering into this conversation of social justice, maybe maybe they haven't considered it before or, or as much involvement as they feel like they need to do, or maybe they're just looking for new avenues of ways to do it. Um, like, what are you seeing that, that churches can do in a healthy way to enter into that conversation?
3: Primarily is to really prayerfully consider what God is asking your church to do. Because just like individuals can't be all things to all people. Mm -hmm. You know, there are some of us that just uh, feel like being involved in middle school ministry is the most important thing in the world. It's what we (laughs) should be doing with our lives. It's how we should volunteer. And there are middle school people, volunteers and youth directors and such, that are changing the lives of middle school students because God has uniquely equipped that person at that place and that time to go in and play dodgeball, and listen to the hard stories, and be present. Now, I, as Eddie, don't c- care that much. I mean, like, like <laughs> Middle school is great and stuff, but like, God yeah. hasn't laid that on my heart. But that doesn't mean I have some sort of deficiency. I see the importance of it and the beauty yeah. of it. It's just that what God has asked me to do at this point in time in my life, and I need to be malleable, I need to keep listening, I need to be brave, and those things. But like, what God has called me to do right now doesn't have to do with middle school ministry. It has to do with this. you know, Right now, it's like, I want to leverage as much of my life to serve the people that IJM is serving. It's not really serving IJM, but serving the slaves that are on the other side of the world that think they've been forgotten. I want to help the U.S. church go and find those slaves. And so, back to the question, I think the first thing that a church can do is, uh, you know, for the people that are leading the conversation, whether it be pastors or members of the congregation or some mix of the whole thing— is just really prayerfully considering what is God calling this congregation to at this point in time? Um Because, I, you know, I want every church in America to be giving tons of money and praying like crazy and sending interns to go and work for IJM. But also, I want every church, like like, that's not always realistic because I really want them to be answering to what God is doing. So I think it's a very, like, Primarily is just you can't be all things to all people. But what can you do well, and what can you really dig in your heels with? And then will you be very brave in doing that? Because I, it, it is, it is hard to get outside of the walls of your own church. I mean, it really is. Not only does it take time that you don't have because you're constantly working on, you know, your family, your job. The next Sunday, there's just a lot already happening just to get just to be a normal functioning, like even if it was just a social club, that you're still pretty busy. (laughs) Like you're just, it take, it's going to take some stretch and it's also going to be hard because it's, we're going to see things and experience things that are going to crush us. And so I, I just think that it's primarily realizing you can't be everything and asking God to give you wisdom to that. But then secondarily is being extra brave and just, just jumping in without knowing the full strategy to the very end, knowing like it's okay to learn on the fly. That's that's right. That's right. Because I don't necessarily know the end to homelessness in my community, but I can do something and like, it's not everything, but if I get, I, I, will, cr- I will crumble under the weight of feeling like I have to have a systemic solution to homelessness. It's like, no man, go to Walmart, make 10 bags for with my kids and hand them out at the park it's not everything but it's something to those 10 people and if everybody did something for their own 10 people that actually would be a solution the problem is we just crumble and we don't do like we don't do anything and i
1: scope of it can feel a little overwhelming
3: right even just with your own family like healing your own relationships i mean just the junk that we have in our like normal life is too much and maybe I'm I'm speaking out of just projecting my there's, own. There's library. the counselor side speaking out. Yeah. <laughs> right, that's right. But it is just a
1: lot. It's just a lot. And so I just yeah. be brave and do anything as a church. I think on a macro level, like you said, it's maybe finding those people that have that passion um, to kind of lead those programs at your church or, or lead something like that, or at least have them build a team.
3: Something inherent and in, baked into what you said, and this is just so much a part of your church's culture, that it may not even be like fully realized that it's such a good thing, but your church is able to understand the needs or the abilities and the needs of the people in the congregation and be a place where those abilities can flourish. So it's not a fully staff-driven, you know, if we're going to do anything, the staff is going to do it because the staff is just really in charge of keeping the lights on making sure that the major programs happen and make sure that Sunday happens. The real life of the church, the stuff that happens is because somebody in that church somewhere said, you know what? I know sign language and we have this amazing deaf community that doesn't have a church to go to. Can I start, you know, interpreting the second service? A lot of churches are structured in a way that if somebody had that idea, they could not figure out a way to be the church inside of their own church. They could not figure out a way to use the resources of the building, the you know the the service that's happening. The they could not do it because it, it would be set up in a way that only a staff member can get something done here. And I think that that is just a really like a primary. It's it's like a very practical but very primary need for the church to be able to organize itself in such a way that it can be malleable and understand that. God is just percolating through the members of the congregation. In in terms of IJM, the churches that have the most successful partnerships are really not because the senior pastor said, I want to partner significantly with IJM. It's because there was somebody in the congregation that heard Gary Haugen speak at Passion six years ago and has never forgotten it and has brought that back to their church and is now leading a group of people who... You know, lead the entire partnership, and that's that's a really healthy thing for your church to be able to be a part of, and I, I think that that's a really key moment. I, I have to remember that as a leader, like that's actually the sweet spot. It's not the staff doing it; it's the church being able to be it, be the
1: church. Yeah. What What are some things you have learned about hmm. leadership through all that you're doing
3: the The key leadership thing that I missed out on when I was a pastor at a church was. Not respecting the fact that I was a part of a much larger narrative that God set in motion way, way, way before we had our branding meeting about our new logo. And there is nothing wrong with doing church with excellence, but I wish I would have had the experience then that I have now, which is stepping out and seeing this whole big, messy church in its really very complex, you know, it's just massive issues in the methodist church and the presbyterian church are just being ripped apart through you know doctrinal issues that they're wrestling with and I like I understand it we all have to continue to do the messy work of figuring out what obedience means but um i just would have i have appreciated having a larger a bigger picture to the beauty of the whole church working together as a single body whose you know head is christ
0: To find out more about Eddie and to read part of our interview with him, visit the podcast episode page on our website at creativechurch.com. That's (laughs) CRTVChurch.com.
1: Welcome
0: to Reply All, where each week we post a question and give you the chance to answer online in our Creative Talks group and on Facebook and on Instagram. Last week we asked, what are some of your guilty pleasures? We got a ton of feedback on this one. So here are a few of our favorites in no particular order or reading.
1: Paul, he uh, hit it off strong with the flavored coffee creamers, pop music, Justin Baber, uh, Justin Baber. Baber. <laughs> <laughs> love Baber. But yeah, love that Baber. Love Justin Bieber. Who is Justice Beaver? Um, <laughs> pop music uh, with Justin Bieber's latest offerings, Bruno Mars and Timberlake. And fail ARMY videos. And then he said, I'm sorry, with an embarrassed kind (laughs) of ashamed face emoji.
0: That is is beautiful, though. I I love the fact that he loves Justin Bieber. Um, Yeah. You know, he's a little known, little known star. That's
1: Well, that's what I call my little group is the Bieber Babers. So, the Bieber <laughs> no. Babers. Yeah, I, I have t-shirts made and everything.
2: Oh, so. my goodness. Okay, well, Darren is now my new best friend. <laughs> I figured he would be. I figured he
0: would be when I was putting this together. <laughs> because I was like, she gets this.
2: Oreo ice cream, y'all. Oh, my Ooh. goodness. Darren, like, you sound awesome. Oreos you, are worth that.
1: Has anyone ever had the Oreo ice cream?
2: No, but it sounds great.
1: I have had Oreo ice cream before at like a uh, Cold Stone.
0: Okay, it's like a oh, like they mix it in. Yeah. Or yeah. Okay, that's cool. With um, with mint
1: chocolate chip.
2: Mm, that sounds Ooh. so good.
1: That sounds delicious. Ross. See, I know where it's at. I know how to do my food. <laughs> Don't question me, Emily.
2: <laughs> Sorry, I'll I dunk still my Oreos. I still can't do it. Nope.
0: Abraham said traditional wet shaving and coffee, um, which made me pose this question abraham are (laughs) you putting together wet shaving in the coffee is that is that how this is looking because looking at your comment here you don't have a comma before and so i think (laughs) it means those two are kind of like combined like they're on the same well i
1: just i just see him doing the old barber he gets out the straight blade and like does a little on the little felt (laughs) and uh really sharpens his own little blade there and then just you know takes his time takes about you know at least an hour to to shave in the morning for him that's what i what's what i picture uh, real quick though uh what is wet shaving can someone is that hey is i'm that,
2: not the go-to i'm guessing
1: guest. it i'm guessing it's just using you know the hot water to open up the pores and then you put on the shaving cream and shave away
0: it just dawned on me whenever we're uh, reading that I, I don't even know what wet but it said is.
1: traditional so i don't know if he uses a straight shaver or, or a straight razor or what mm. that's what i think of like a barber shop almost you know
0: yeah, I mean, this is more of a Ross and I discussion, but, you know, if you've ever... Uh, I'm out. If, yeah. If you've ever used the straight razor on your face, you know, I'm I'm a regular shaver. I don't like, I don't like beards. Um, not that I don't like them, you know, on other people. They're fine on other people. They're not good on me. Um, so, if you ever you do use the straight razor, that is probably the closest shave in the yeah. entire world. It's beautiful. It's amazing. Um, if that's what he's talking about, then I guess I'm for wet shaving, too. Tra- yeah. Traditional wet shaving. So, I don't there I don't you know.
1: Go. Well, we had... um. R.I.P. David, who used to be a member of um, this is kind the of the Creative Talks group. This
0: is a little bit of an in memoriam segment. Yeah, um, David is uh, his no guilty with
1: pleasure us. is Star Wars Episode One, and then he was immediately banned. Oh, no. so and blocked <laughs> Sorry, on Instagram. David, we were like, no, yeah, no just, more. We don't need that kind of negativity in our life. So we, we wait. Don't.
2: Why you don't like Star Wars, or you do like Star Wars? Oh, we love no, no. Star Wars. You see, oh. love it. the
1: conditional part of it is Episode One.
2: Oh, okay, right. I got it.
1: Episode one, two,
0: and three are kind of the black sheep of the Star Wars family.
2: Interesting.
0: Um, you can kind of like Episode three. <laughs> um, you, I don't think can you. I, I, I personally don't think you can like Episode two. Um, I mean,
1: everybody, everybody says you know it's all canon, so you have to respect the. You have to respect it, The decisions yes. and things going on there, but it's it's very difficult. So it is
0: very. But Episode one, you can't like episode one i know that as a star wars fan (laughs) episode one is the hard no like we cannot enjoy that one um so that's why david david is no longer. we've we've actually removed everyone's last name this week for two reasons one to protect (laughs) the we can't pronounce them and yeah two what two we can't pronounce them that was the second reason we cannot pronounce people's names so uh we just went with the first one
2: (laughs) perfect (laughs) All right, well, Joel said Golden Girls reruns.
1: Mm, and... Testify. Yeah, just pop out the Oreos and put them reruns on.
0: <laughs> cheesecake. You got to eat cheesecake with the Golden Girls. No, uh, there you go.
2: I think cheesecake Oreo Oreos. Or Oreo ice cream. Oreo
1: Come on. cheesecake. Yes. Ooh. Wait, wait, wait. Cheesecake cream in Oreos or Oreo chunks <gasps> oh, in cheesecake? Stop. Oh, oh, my
2: goodness.
1: Both at the same time. Both at the same
0: oh. time. I Done. feel like you could just top it with the Oreo. Mm. You know, speaking of which, why are they putting the Oreo cream in jars yet?
2: Oh, my goodness. That's a
0: great question. What is this? Uh, this is a, <laughs> i mean,
1: uh, they did marshmallow puff. Right. Right. So. Right. This is the next logical step.
0: Yeah. I mean, that stuff is delicious. I could eat that from a jar.
1: It, it reminds me of the Futurama episode where he constructs his own oreo and has this like huge press where it puts the cream in the middle and then presses yeah. the two sides together and he takes it out immediately twists it off licks off the cream and then he eats, eats each cookie yeah so it was really funny i
0: do feel like that would be our generation <laughs> they yeah. would be doing they would not they'd just be building their own oreos looking at the cream and, and the, the irony
1: oreo. would be completely lost
0: yeah. well uh those are some amazing answers to see the rest you can do so by joining our creative talks group on facebook um this week Though we wanted to ask you what is your dream job? And um if you already have your dream job, which I, I kind of feel like everybody on the podcast might already have their dream yeah. job, um, what are you doing and why is it your dream job? So that's that's the question of the week. So I'm gonna start with you, Ross. Ross, what is your dream job? Or if you have your dream job, what are you doing and uh why is it your dream job?
1: Um yeah, kinda kind of doing the dream job. I mean, I you know, if I kind of had to put it out there like creative director is definitely something on my list but um you know I'm in a creative department that uh, is a lot of fun to work in with the people I work with and telling stories in our church is is pretty phenomenal so that's kind of the big big part that I like about it all is is being able to tell those stories in creative ways and um yeah there's some cool things coming up this year that I'm already looking forward to Now growing up did
0: it was it always the aspiration to do this or was it just no. something recently
1: Um I mean I kinda had that it wasn't didn't really I didn't realize it was a passion, but in high school I started kinda getting into movies and, and all that kind of stuff. And then college, about halfway through college was when I um made the shift from geographic information systems over to video production. So <laughs> awesome. you know, that's a hard left turn.
0: Yeah, that is a hard left turn. Uh Emily.
2: Oh man. You're up. You're up to answer my this question. dream job would be to be a Oreo test cookie. taster for Oreo flavors. I'm kidding. I that there one. it
1: is. <laughs> <laughs> no,
2: my actual dream job. I I'm in. Um. So it's two part. I'm the executive director at Church of Hope. Um. Mm. And for me, I've always had a heart for the local church. Um. And so being able to really lead our ministry areas, our staff, make sure that we're um. Like literally living out our mission—that's my dream job. The icing on the cake for this job is that I get to do it in partnership with my dad. Um, he's the lead pastor at the church I work at, and it's just fun to be teamed up with him. Um, and then the other part of my dream job is becoming me at um, working with women and encouraging them to become who God made them to be is literally why I get out of bed every day. And so, being able to do that with a community of women online and then at events across the country—it's um, just—it's the dream.
0: Um, uh, I, I feel like if I don't have my dream job, it's my
1: fault. Um, <laughs> you've, you've made a terrible decision. made a
0: terrible mis- decision. I kind of created my own job, so I should have I should have got my dream one. Um, actually, um, yeah, I, I do feel like I'm in my dream job. Um, I couldn't imagine me doing anything else. Um, and it's, it's fun. I, I run Creative Church, uh, and it, it's been two years of trying to kind of figure out what that is and what that means um, and learn what we are. Um, but now that we've kind of learned that and uh, seen what – what really works for us, you know, doing that pub- publication side and talking to creators and creatives and, you know, building this community, uh, online, you know, I really feel like I-, I couldn't imagine myself doing anything else. And so it's, it's, it's a very, very interesting, interesting way this all worked out. Um, cause I didn't know it was going to be my dream job and, uh, I didn't even know this job existed. Um, but it does. So there you go i had to make it myself though so <laughs> if you if you find yourself not one if you don't have a dream job and you're like I don't, have, I don't know what i want to do i don't have a dream job just go make it yourself just go there figure goes. out yeah. how to get paid doing what you love so um might work might not work for you but it might so there you go um if you want to join in on our conversation you can do so by heading over to facebook and join our creative talks group uh, that's crtv talks this week though all the longer answers we're going to push to there so if you have a longer answer go to the creative talks group join in but we are also going to push this question out to our instagram and Facebook so you can answer on there as well. Um, on that note, we're going to go ahead and wrap things up. There are a few great ways that you can uh, share your appreciation for the Creative Church Podcast. First, subscribe and ask your favorite podcatcher. We also release all of our episodes on our website at creativechurch.com.
1: Also, review this podcast and show us some rating star love on iTunes so we can get more exposure, and the more people that can find us can tune in this summer to when we try pina colada, <laughs> cherry cola, and kettle corn Oreos this summer. Yes! <laughs> <laughs>
0: which emily will be leading the charge on um so oreo if you're listening that's a suggestion uh
1: sponsor sponsor
0: (laughs) (laughs) lastly consider sharing this episode on social media Uh, you can find us by searching our handle on social media creative church that's one word all caps crtv church special thanks to eddie for joining us today you can check out all that he's doing by heading over to our podcast episode page on our website at creativechurch.com also thanks to visual media church for sponsoring today's show do us a big favor and go check them out and snag that 20% discount when you use offer code creative church. That's one word, all caps, CRTV church. In the meantime, I'm Nick Gunner, I'm Ross Montgomery.
2: And I'm Emily Cummins.
0: And we will see you next episode. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Creative Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at creativechurch.com. That's crtvchurch.com. Also, check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Creative Church.